Okay, so Sky Cleary is a philosopher and a writer who teaches at Columbia University and the City University of New York. And she holds a black belt in Taekwondo, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And uh, on today, today's podcast, we're going to talk about her new book, How to Be Authentic. So thanks for joining us today, Sky. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Dennis. My pleasure. So I guess my first obvious question is, why this question? Why authenticity? Yeah, um, so I had heard this phrase or term being thrown around so much and didn't really understand what it was. Like it's supposed to be some kind of virtue. Like, yeah, like look for your, find your authentic self. And then that's the key to unlocking your happiness. Um, at least that was the narrative that I was hearing. And so, and but I didn't, couldn't quite grasp what, authenticity really meant and what what people meant by it when when they use the term it's like is it being just being honest um is it like you know if you're trying to look for your true self um how do you find it and and what does that even look like and how do you know if you've found your your authentic self so I just had so many questions about it and I had already uh, come across Simone de Beauvoir in my, my PhD was on existential philosophy. And she, one of the chapters was focused on, on her. And so I knew that she had already been um, <clears throat> talking about, you know, authenticity in, in different ways. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go and and kind of dive into to her philosophy because she was one of my favorites out of the the existential philosophers and um yeah and and she doesn't talk about authenticity like in you know like in a neat and tidy summed up way um so but this it's sort of a recurring theme so I wanted to go through and and pull out different um, ways that she was talking about authenticity and in different contexts and different examples to try and, you know, piece together a bit of an, an understanding for what authenticity was. So it was as much, you know, a, um, a search for, for myself and, or a quest for, for, you know, myself to figure it out um, and yeah, decided to write about it. What do you think drew you to existentialism in particular and then Simone de Beauvoir within existentialism? Yeah, so I had studied a year of philosophy in my undergraduate degree, um, but I didn't like it. Um, it was very um, analytically um, focused. And so I just dropped it and I went and worked in financial markets for a while. Um, what and... was, sorry, what was the struggle with the analytical philosophy? What was it that didn't really resonate with you? I found it boring okay. and um, uh, I just didn't, it wasn't, I'm just like, okay, this is fine. And, and we did, you know, I took a class in logic, which, which I, which I liked. And, you know, I, I actually, that was kind of my favorite of the, of all the um, parts that I did, but I just um, was, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it at that time. And of course there was, I, I think now if maybe if they taught the existential philosophers back then, like, would I, would that have changed my life path in a way? Maybe I would have been more interested in it, but um, yeah, so didn't, didn't grab me then. Um, and so dropped it. And it was, you know, a few years later in my late twenties, I did an MBA because uh, I'd been working in finance and then that was sort of the, the next step where I wanted to take it. And uh, there were some philosophers on faculty where I did my PhD, MBA in, um, in Australia at Macquarie University. And one of the professors of my organizational behavior class was doing her PhD in, I think, existential dynamics in the boardroom, talking about, um, you know, freedom and responsibility of, of directors. And she gave a class that was talking about Jean-Paul Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir. And I was like, wow, what is this? And uh, so I went and asked her after class, I'm like, I want to know more about this. What should I read? 
And the next class, she came back with a list of Simone de Beauvoir's books. And I kind of started at the top and worked my way through. <laughs> um, and actually, it was about that time that a book came out called Tete a Tete by Hazel Rowley, um, which was about the relationship. Like, a, it's a, sort of a biography about Simone de Beauvoir and Jean-Paul Sartre about their relationship. And I read this and I was so interested because they and especially Simone de Beauvoir seemed to be asking similar questions that that I was asking um, at the time you know I was in my late 20s and thinking about how you manage relationships and and career and how much you should give up for love and um, what 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 our duties are to to other other people um, and she she didn't have all the answers necessarily, but I found she had like a really um, uh, insightful kind of language and and framework to talk about some of those issues. Because I was going to ask you actually, I think you just answered the question there. What gra- what grabbed you by? You said before with analytical philosophy, it didn't really grab you, but then with the existential, it did grab you. But it seemed to be that you were thinking about what they were already thinking about and they laid a foundation and groundwork for you to start thinking through. Is that kind of what drew you to it then? Was it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I was questioning um, you know, what I should do with my life as well, or you know, where where do you find meaning? Um and one of the kind of narratives that I had internalized and been brought up with was that, you know, the key to happiness is or a happy life is to, you know, get a good job, like study hard at university, go, you know, get a get a good job and then find someone, fall in love, you know, get married, have babies, and and that's it. But I was like, well, there are so many unhappy people like who are married and, um, you know, there are happy people who aren't getting married and who don't have kids. And, you know, with divorce statistics so high, I was like starting to question, question that. And I'm like, that doesn't add up for me. It doesn't make sense. Like what, why are we, we doing this? What are even the alternatives? Um, and so, yeah, I found that, um, yeah, Beauvoir had been thinking about that at a much earlier age and, and pushing back on, on um, th- what was expected of her. And that was one of the, the other reasons that drew me to Beauvoir was that she didn't do what, um, what, what was expected of her. You know, she, she had an open relationship with Jean-Paul Sartre. Um, she went and studied philosophy. She was one of the first women to do so and in, in France at the Sorbonne. And so there are all these things that she, so she was kind of an iconoclast and I, I respected that. Because our, our relationship with Jean-Paul Sartre is, um, was very different even to today even today it's quite um it's still quite challenging to uh hear of people in open relationships and how they make that work like what are some of the things you took away from her philosophy and the reality of living in an open relationship that you could carry to maybe finding your own path in life with love and marriage and all that yeah so i i mean i didn't think that I wanted an open relationship uh, necessarily but what I admired was that she um, went down this path and sort of I guess agreed to this relationship with Jean-Paul Sartre which was on their terms um, not on anyone else's terms and created a, a relationship that was that was meaningful for them and one of the reasons they did that was because they were kind of building a philosophy based on freedom and responsibility. Um, and so they said, well, let's, if we just give each other the freedom to, you know, have sex with other people, that's kind of a shallow um, use of our freedom. So let's be bolder and give each other the freedom to fall in love with other people. Um, and so that seemed like a good idea for them at the time. Um, and but in reality, it was quite difficult because, you know, these other people in the relationship, they weren't existentialists. They weren't, you know, um, uh, even though Sartre and Beauvoir were apparently upfront with people and, and everyone knew that 
Beauvoir and Sartre had this sort of um, primary relationship, as they called it, um, you know, it's still hurts there's still a tension there if you're in love with someone and know that you're not the most important person in their life like that's this um that can can be problematic um and you know there are questions as to you know whether Beauvoir was really enthusiastic about that relationship but she she claimed that you know it was her choice and and she she uh, didn't regret it and so yeah I think we have to take her word for it that you know it was freely chosen um and so on the one hand I think this this relationship between them where they um came to an agreement that worked for both of them, for both Sartre and Beauvoir, was, was an authentic one because they respected one another's freedom and they were supportive of one another. But where that kind of breaks down, I think, is that their relationship was was fixed in a way that, you know, they say we're going to be committed to each other for, you know, permanently and we're primary to one another and everybody else is going to be secondary or contingent lovers. But the fact that you're like, that's just like, a, can be like a marriage, like you're agreeing to, to this contract. And so it actually, it didn't end up being that different to, to a, a, a normal marriage, except they had relationships with other people. But I think for a, a relationship to be an authentic one, given Beauvoir's philosophy, it needs to take into account that we grow and we change and the relationship changes and that we need to take into account other people and the relationships we, we have with other people and respect their freedom to and acknowledge our responsibility towards these other people in the relationship. Um, and so I think there was, um, you know, a little bit of tension between how they lived their philosophy, how, how they lived and, and their, and at least Beauvoir's philosophy in, in that case. Is authenticity messy, you think? Oh, yeah, I it's, yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, I, I talk about authenticity as it's, um, a way of expressing our freedom to um, create life, li to create our lives on on our own terms. So, in existential philosophy, if if I had to sum it up in three words, which uh, is oversimplifying, of course, but it would be existence precedes essence, which is what how Jean Paul Sartre coined it. So, we exist first. We're thrown into the world. None of us chose to be here. And then it's up to us to create who we become. But of course, Beauvoir said that, um, acknowledged that there are lots of structures. Like, of course, we can't just do whatever we want because we live in, in a society with uh, regulations and, and with laws and, and with, with uh, norms uh, that, that shape, actually shape and, and structure who we're becoming. So we're not completely free. Um, but authenticity is then a process of figuring out what we can control and figuring out, you know, the facts of our lives, you know, the, the static things in our lives that we can't change, but thinking about how we might um, overcome the, the facts of our lives and how we can stretch ourselves uh, beyond, um, beyond the given. Um, so authenticity isn't, um, you know, there's not a specific formula for it. You know, we, we each have to figure out how we stretch ourselves into the future, how we create our, our lives um, in our own way. But I think Beauvoir does give us some, some guidelines and some important insights to, to um, frame our thinking about it. Actually, um, I think the messiness also comes from the interactions with other people because I think there's a good amount of importance Simone seemed to have placed on coexisting with other people and the responsibility inherent in that so it's that tension between being authentic to yourself and then expressing that and it also mentioned at some point in your book that how others perceive us and our companionships our relationships determine in many ways like who we are and who we become so it's a 
I think that's where the messiness comes in with the other people. And even in the existence precedes essence. One thing I often think about is, so if you grew up in an environment which didn't fully align with what you truly value, like in a, like for example, you could be somebody who values philosophy and art, but you might grow up in an environment where the values place more on sport and you fit into that, then something within you can tell you that 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 you you want to express yourself differently is that not part of the essence then or what's uh that's kind of where i get confused sometimes with the existence versus essence because i I do believe in that to an extent but then i've I've seen in my own life there's times where i feel like this doesn't feel fully like me i don't know what is but i know something there's somewhere else that it could be or there's somewhere else some other way i could be expressing myself but i don't know what it is yet and that for me feels like a part of my essence that's kind of calling me yeah yeah that's a that's a good way to put it um and I think what Beauvoir might say in response to that was that sure we we all drag our past behind us like like a ball and chain you know and we are the existential view is that we're the sum of our actions we're the sum of who we have been in the past um and there are lots of things about our existence that we can't change we can't well, you know, we're, we arrive with these bodies, we can change them to, to some extent, but, you know, we have a past that, that we can't change. Um, we have genes that we can't necessarily change, you know, so there's lots of things. These, these are the facts of our existence. Um, and it, yeah, who shape, and that shapes who we, uh, who we are now in this context. But I think what I like about Beauvoir is that she's saying, well, that doesn't, limits who we can be in the future that doesn't define us in an absolute sense because we're also defined by how we orient ourselves into the future so how we uh, set goals to be to you know maybe study philosophy or to become an artist and how we're we're orienting ourselves towards those those self-chosen goals and so the authenticity is in that, in, in how we direct ourselves in the future. That's the transcendence part, is it? Transcending who we are right now. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, because there was a good line here actually with the art as transcendence. You said some people treat acting as work that pays the bills. Others act because it flatters their vanity. But authentic artists strive to become genuine creators. Through their art, they transcend themselves and become a conduit to artistic creation. They appeal to others and they forge new pathways. I really like that because it's it's the individual transcending themselves, but also creating a pathway for others in the coexisting part. Yeah, exactly. I I love um, Beauvoir on that that too. So I'm I'm glad you you pulled that part out. But yeah, and you're right. This comes to another aspect which is at the heart of her idea of authenticity which is that uh, and what you were saying before about how authenticity is messy because you know uh, um, for Beauvoir there are a few different dimensions to our being there's being for ourselves which is how how we're uh, creating ourselves how we're thinking about ourselves and often this idea authenticity is taken to mean this kind of being for ourselves how how are we introspecting what are we doing for ourselves um whereas Beauvoir says that no actually another incredibly important dimension of our being is being for others uh because of what we were saying before like we we coexist and we're we're in these webs of relationships to begin with and we we understand ourselves and who we're becoming through our interactions with other people. So other people are a really important dimension of, of our consciousness. And so the the authentic project is is trying to uh, manage that tension between being for ourselves and being for other people. And there's always going to be a tension, but where the problems uh, arise is where we fall too heavily into one or the other. So if we end up being completely being for others, then we lose ourselves. 
and this was one of the points she raised in in the second sex which was her most famous book in 1949 that so often women have been groomed to be for others like to to give up themselves to sacrifice themselves in order to serve husbands children you know be caregivers to everyone else and so that's problematic because it um it fosters oppression um, whereas if you're too heavily into being for yourself, then that's very self-centered and narcissistic and you're, you're missing out on a lot of really uh, valuable um, understandings and connections with other people. So this messiness is trying to navigate this sort of tension of being with others this kind of in in between and yeah and with the coming back to the artists yeah Beauvoir was like yeah often artists um or she criticized actresses who she saw as getting into the business just because just to satisfy their vanity um and you know because she saw in some of these these people that um these women weren't being valued in the world they weren't being acknowledged for their for their brain they were barred from having real careers and so one of their sort of escape mechanisms was to get into acting so that they could feel valued through through that gaze of the other um, but really she was saying that's inauthentic if they're only doing it in order to attract attention to themselves Whereas, as you say, there were um, other artists that that she she acknowledged uh, that she saw who who were yeah turning acting in, into an actual art and and helping you know reveal the truth of of the human condition and so it was a meaningful experience for the actors and a meaningful experience for the audience um, to to uh, yeah understand life better. That's in what you're talking about there. I had a, had a quote written down. I can't see it there at the moment, but it was to do with uh, we. It was to do with we we lose ourselves too quickly. It was basically the essence of it was that you you need to find yourself, but then forget about yourself to be in service of others. But but my question is, how do you know when you found yourself? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. How do you? Yeah, and I think Beauvoir in that case was being poetic. Mm. Um, and you know in 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 at times she talks about oh for example okay she talks about she has this essay on Jean-Paul Sartre and she says he's he's you know one of the happiest people she knows because he was living in ways that he chose and he coincided with himself Okay, and so this idea of coinciding with yourself, I think that relates to what you're talking about as to uh, losing yourself, finding yourself as if there's like this, this you know, core self or, or essential self. But I think she, um, you know, when she's getting deep into her, her philosophy, she's talking more about authenticity as, as a creation, not a discovery. Oh, so you, you find yourself through your actions in the world more so than... Well, actually, is there, isn't there a, a, a dance between introspection and action in the world that goes into this? Yeah, I, you're right. I think there's there's a bit of both. It's about, um, I mean, not overthinking everything to death, but this is the existential leap, right? You can do all mm -hmm. the introspection in the world, but unless you actually, you know, make a leap and jump in and, and do something, even if you don't have full, like we never have full information about, about every situation. So there's always going to be some kind of ambiguity about, you know, our actions, but for Beauvoir, sort of the authentic process is, okay, yeah, doing some introspection, but then making sure it's not, we don't get lost in introspection, but are also doing like extrospection and actually getting out there and being brave and acting in the midst of ambiguity and then making choices and reflecting on those choices. And in fact, sometimes we don't even know whether those, the choices we make were, you know, in, in consistent with where we wanted to project ourselves in the world until after we've done it I mean we're all we we make mistakes where we're you know and but that that's okay and she's like why are we tied to to specific courses of action as long as we keep 
making those leaps, I guess, in, into the future, in into um, a world where we're choosing those goals for ourselves and respecting other people and acknowledging that other people are are trying to to do the same thing um, and that we're not oppressing others in, in the process. That's so. Yeah, it's, as you said, it's you know it's going to be a combination of introspection and and action and extrospection. Because she was someone who placed quite a lot of importance on the practicalities of philosophy. I don't think she saw herself as like the, kind of a an armchair philosopher or kind of, uh, people theorizing. I think she seemed to place a lot of importance on the actual implications of our thought in philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Um, she um, said from an early age, like in a student diary, that my philosophy must be from life, which is uh, one of the, I think the epigraph that I have in, in my book. And it, because I wanted to acknowledge that she didn't want to be part of the ivory tower um, who, and she says in her memoirs, something about, you know, the, these philosophers who um, put in these obsessive efforts to, to create like a, a philosophical system. And she kind of dismisses that. She's like, no, I don't want to get all, all be so, so abstract like that. And I don't want to get into world building and system building. I want to think about practical solutions like think about philosophy in the everyday how can you know philosophy help us reflect on our lives and and think about where where we might find meaning in our lives and this is one of the reasons why yes she wrote philosophical essays and, and books but she also wrote novels and and plays and published her letters and and memoirs and in order to sort of, I think, show like the nuances of human existence, like sure you can theorize and, and that's important, but also how that theory, like how we can look at life through those theoretical lenses. It's every situation is gonna be complex and incred incredibly nuanced. And there are gonna be so many ambiguities and, uh, so, and I, I love her novels for that because it does toy with these very, um, you know, complicated uh, human relationships. Yeah, it's bringing the humanity to it. It's like the actual human examples. I liked how you did that in your book, in this book as well, that on the motherhood topic, you talked a little bit about having a baby and that uh, it just, from reading and I was like, geez, that, that it sounds tough. And I've even seen parents do it. It's tough. Like, how have you... Uh, how have you, what have you learned from that with, with authenticity and becoming a mother? How has that influenced how you think about yourself? And does it feel authentic? Like, is there any bit of yourself you seem to have lost or gained from motherhood? Yeah, I think reading, I mean, well, first of all, Simone de Beauvoir did not have children, biological children. She adopted a, a daughter to, to manage her estate. That, that daughter was an adult at the time. Um, and, you know, she chose not motherhood and it was an active choice. And she was uh, thought that that was very important in order to be able to make the choice of whether to be a mother or not, which was why she was also a very um, big advocate of birth control and abortion. Um, and so I was sort of reading Simone de Beauvoir about the time I, I was having uh, a, a baby, a child and, you know, going through this. And so I think in retrospect, the things, the, the biggest thing I learned and that I, I came to understand at the time was that I guess my role as a mother was to um, kind of, yeah, certainly take care of, of the child, but not to annihilate myself entirely and remember that I'm a person too. And because sometimes I sort of lost, lost track. I felt like just this milk machine and, um, but, you know, finding that balance and it's really hard if it's just, you know, if, if I was a single mother, but I can't imagine how tough it was for, for how tough it is for, for single mothers. But, you know, um, I ended up having to say to my husband, look, I, I need you to step up and I need you to come in like this is this is not not fair. And so I learned to 
give have a voice and I learned to kind of advocate for myself in a way that I wasn't initially because I I had this idea that oh I'm yeah I'm I've got this mum thing I'm gonna be fine like yeah I I don't need help like or, or if I need help that must mean that I'm a failure um whereas no of course not it's having a baby is really really hard um and you know, I realized that I, and at times it was just so hard, but I, I remembered that, you know, I, I, I was lucky to be able to choose to be a mother and to choose it at the particular time that, that I did. And, you know, I have a responsibility. So I was free. I exercised that freedom and yeah, created this and, and um, took on the responsibility of, of supporting my child. But I also think in terms of coming back to having an authentic relationship, um, it, it's hard because Beauvoir talks about authenticity as, as a mutual, uh, sorry, authentic relationships as a mutual recognition of, of two freedoms and, you know, neither one mutilating themselves and, you know, creating values um, in the world together. And I think that's a really nice reminder to say, okay, so my child is going to be dependent on me for a really long time. But what I'm doing is trying to foster an authentic relationship, foster, um, you know, him as, as a, as a freedom in the world and teaching him to respect my freedom. And um, so, and, but, you know, response in, in responsible ways. Um is that the intersubjectivity, like where you recognize each other's subjective experience of life? Is it? Yes, exactly. Yes, that's the, that's the key to authentic relationships is the the notion of intersubjectivity. Yeah, mutual recognition, respect of of one another's freedom, and um, being supportive. And you know, because Beauvoir um, talks in the second sex in the introduction, she's like, you know, the problem between the sexes is that men have in so many societies and so often sort of taken on the role of um, primary subject, like sovereign subject in the world and um, women have been relegated to, to secondary subjects, uh, sorry, no, secondary like objects in the world. So men are subject, women are objects. Um, and she's like okay so that's not intersubjectivity intersubjectivity is where you're not treating people like like objects but recognizing that their life is is as rich and as um vibrant and as 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 worthy of of respect as my life um and so you know it's it's an acknowledgement that i'm not the center of the world but your life is is um uh as important as mine and so that's where uh yeah you know, in, that's the idea of intersubjectivity and and you and you can see in that intersubjectivity is where we start to build up um uh Beauvoir's idea of ethics like in that connection where you respect other people as subjects yeah it's the uh well that's where you see the nuance in people when you recognize the subjectivity and recognize that we're all subjects and objects in uh, going around in the world it, it, but it, I guess it's just, it's a, uh, there's a certain amount of introspection that's required to hold that in your awareness state today, because by default, it's very easy to just go around and just operate as objects in the world. And you're the primary subject and everybody else is an object. It's uh, an easy default way to live. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, this was Albert Camus' point, right, with the myth of Sisyphus, is that we get caught in these like endless you know, cycles of drudgery of waking up and eating, going to work, going home, like, you know, over and over again. And mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah. And, and, you know, Beauvoir saw this as, as well. And that it's, you know, it takes practice to kind of think about our situations and think about what we're freely choosing and what we're being pressured to, to do. Uh, are we just operating on autopilot all the time? Um, and so this is one of the reasons why kind of rebellion was um, uh, an important part of her philosophy because 
you know, challenging, it's important to challenge the status quo and, or it's important to, you know, why she was an inspiration to the feminists in, in the 1960s and 70s, because she was giving people uh, a means of um, raising their consciousness, raising their awareness about um, these uh, patterns that they were getting into in terms of, you know, especially in, in, the second sex, especially women as, you know, being channeled into, you know, caregiving roles um, and channeled out of the workforce. And, you know, Beauvoir acknowledged that, yeah, it's something we need to do on, on an individual level, but just, of course, knowing if you're oppressed on an individual level is, is really hard to, to change anything. And that's why um, solid forming solidarities with other people is, is important too. Yeah, yeah, it's again, it's challenging. It takes a bit of time. Uh, it does. There's actually another part of the book that you talked about aging, and um, actually, I think it was kind of came across that Simone nearly feared aging more than death itself. And just one thing I picked up on was the. It actually felt quite horrible. Actually, kind of put myself in the shoes of somebody older. It's the idea of being othered. You're 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 seen as other than other people. I kind of tied that back to just even being different in general, not even at a different age, but like the fear of taking a stand for something different. I think the fear of being othered is in there. Just want to want to get your thoughts on how do you face the, that fear of being othered? Yeah, um, yeah, great question. And you know, she wrote a whole like a really big book on old age, which I actually didn't. Uh, really pay any attention to until I, until I started reading this book. And she, you know, the second sex was about thinking about women as other. And then old age was thinking about older people as, as other. And, mm. you know, so yeah, she acknowledged that, you know, racism and, you know, all sorts of um, oppressions exist in, in, in different realms. Um, and in particular with aging, um, I think she she started to realize as she was you know becoming more famous and you know growing a bit older she's like you know people started to tell me that I remind them of their mother and this horrified her she was like mm -hmm. she was like and 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 I I think this sort of pushed her to think about aging and and she said for her it was it's an identity crisis and she found for a lot of people you know it's an identity crisis when you know you might feel you know 25 on the inside and yet you know on the outside there's you know aging and wrinkles and and that gaze of the other like kind of defining you as as old even if you don't see that that yourself and of course, she thought whether it's aging or you know other forms of discrimination, she says it's it's a travesty. Um, and in the case of aging, it's you know because older people are like assumed not to be as as as, as vibrant and and as as they're kind of cast as like outcast from from society. And we want to you know, but or or you know, especially capitalism kind of sees them as washed up and not as productive and therefore we need to sort of get rid of them and you know Beauvoir was was horrified at how she saw older people being being treated around around the world and you know sure people there are some people who are wealthy enough you know that they can kind of cushion themselves into into the decline but she's she said most of the time being old and poor is, is tautological um, because societies treat older people so poorly. And she's also like, it's so confusing because the people who are making laws now to um, discriminate against older people, they're gonna be older themselves like before too long. So it's like self-sabotaging that they're doing it. And it's and you know she also talks about how it's absolutely um, not the case that um, um, as older people are you know do have so much to offer and you know uh, so many people older people are doing volunteering work and and childcare and and all sorts of things and so she wanted to say and but however that doesn't necessarily define them like whether they're valuable and one of my favorite quotes is 
one's life has value as long as one attributes value to the life of others through love, friendship, indignation, and compassion. And so that's what she says makes makes a life valuable if if you have those elements. And um, so, and that comes from from this book, um, Old Age, that she wrote. So, but the name of the book, Old Age, is it? Old Age. Sometimes it's translated as the Coming of Age. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, I think the more recent ones are, are old age. Yeah, it is a funny one with the lawmakers there making laws that they're going to actually discriminate against themselves in the future. Is that maybe a lack of uh, like it's lack of introspection on their part, or kind of just living for them now and not thinking about the future, not realizing you're actually doing yourself damage in the future? And maybe a lack of, because I've noticed myself too, the more I've gone aware of my own subjectivity and the nuances in my life, the more I appreciate that and look for that in other people, the less I was aware of that, the less I was aware of that existing in other people as well. Mm. Yeah, that's a good question. I I mean, yeah, I think you're, you're probably right. It is like a, a form of short-termism or or, you know, Beauvoir says that, you know, when we're younger, old age seems so far off in the future that it almost doesn't seem real. real. Oh. And so, yeah, old age, she said, can actually be harder to come to terms with than death because death is like a perennial possibility. It can happen to any of us at any time. But old age, it's still like, yeah, that's 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 later. Um and so it can be easy for all of us to kind of kind of push push that off and not not worry about it until it's like looming or until you know we realize through often through other people's gazes that that we're um, getting older so yeah a combination of things and and also what what i mentioned before that a lot of the the people who are making these these laws and regulations and setting policies are are, are the more privileged people in society and so it won't they i guess they they believe that it won't affect them as much or they're they're an exception well, i guess it ties to what you're saying there with the older people when you're wealthier there's a bit of a cushion there compared to when you're poor there is it's a bigger blow to the person so maybe that's part of it too maybe though um actually does, does philosophizing get easier over time like asking deeper questions and contemplating and introspection <laughs> um i think maybe it gets harder yeah. <laughs> um i don't know i well i don't i i wouldn't say it gets easier it's just there's yeah, because philosophizing is about you know love of wisdom and and questioning, and often you know you you dig into something, you end up with more questions than than answers. Mm-hmm. Um, that was certainly my experience, which is why this is now my third book because um, I keep having more questions. Um, but I think even being able to ask questions or figure out the right questions to ask, even if we don't know the answer yet, or even if we need to talk to other people to, to sort of work out work, work out the answers um, for us. I think it's I think it's a really meaningful a meaningful process. Well it certainly is for me because it comes down to what does it mean to be human? What is it how how do we navigate ourselves in the world how, how do we get along with other people how do we how do we create a, a, a life um for, for ourselves um when other people are trying to do it too um and i think i wish more people would re- reflect on this i think everybody should study philosophy although i know ireland is a place that's very uh much more supportive of philosophy than than some other places um it's uh, i think there's a there's an art to asking these bigger questions that's what i was going to ask you next uh were you always able to kind of philosophize about life or did you learn that from someone at a young age or i don't think i mean i i i learned i think a little bit in in my in my younger life but i found that my upbringing was all about oh this is how your life's going to be yeah like within so I mean I had I had freedom of course but you know certainly there were I was um you know influenced heavily by what my parents or or teachers or mentors thought 
would be good for me. And it really wasn't until my MBA, like I said, when I when I discovered Simone de Beauvoir and, and the other existential philosophers, it was really then I was sort of like, it, it hit me. I was like, wow, okay, there's there's a lot more that I need to, to think through and a lot more that I need to ask myself. And because I, I feel like I was kind of traveling through life on, on almost, you know, these rails, like headed straight for, for certain goals and hadn't really, hadn't really been questioning those in, in any deep way up until then. So I think, you know, um, being taught, especially by those philosophers during my MBA kind of, uh, um, you know, challenged me to to um do some of that that questioning and figure out well what what am I doing um how am I orienting my my life in in authentic ways and what am I doing just to please other people and that, that's an ongoing process like there's no one simple answer and and you may not even I like I got married I had a kid I don't was that because I truly wanted it or because it was what was expected of me well I don't I think it's a little of both you know, I, I, I did choose, actively chose that. I chose it when I wanted it. And um, so, yeah, but I think uh, philosophizing is, is, is an, an activity and should be an ongoing activity and a way of thinking about the world. Do you ever find yourself getting overwhelmed by the questions? And what do you do if you do get overwhelmed sometimes? Yeah, I, yeah, I often get overwhelmed by the questions. That's a great question. Mm. Um, um, I think one of the things I try to do is, is uh, go for a walk or, you know, go out and, and see a tree or like, look, I have, um, uh, I adopted two bunnies from a shelter. So often I'll go and like pat them. My partner jokes that it's, uh, they're my therapy bunnies. <laughs> but they're... I guess it's grounding. It gets you out of your head and kind of grounds you in, yeah. in your nose, isn't it? It does. And looking for, you know, beauty in the world, um, talking with a friend. Um, I think actually friends are like a huge part of, of my life. And so reaching out to someone, you know, having a connection saying, you know, and I'm, I'm lucky to have, have friends who, um, who do understand and, and who often come to me when they're having these same kind of philosophical crises. I don't know. How about, how about you, Dennis? What do you do? What do I do? Uh, like at the moment that I'm starting to do some drawing, uh, just because I find it's kind of, it's, it's, it's even just a creative outlet, just a medium where I can kind of express feelings, like deeper kind of feelings, get them, get them out, express them. It'll either come out through philosophy and writing, or like now just look at a bit more drawing. It's just get some outlet where it's, um, it's acknowledging there's depth in me and it want, I want to express that. That's kind of how I'd be thinking of it. So I kind of try and pay attention to my body. Am I getting too stressed out? Am I kind of um, maybe working on something for too long? Because sometimes you'll be questioning something and it's best to take a break for a while. You don't know how long the break should be. But then you come back with kind of fresh eyes again. So it's just, just not as a balancing act between uh, different things. And then I suppose you're trying to have a bit of realness to your life. And as a result of doing that, there's certain darkness you need to shed some light on in your life. But then... I think what I try and balance it with is just an appreciation that I am happy to be alive and there's an optimistic uh, energy there. So that's part of it too, that sometimes I'm aware that maybe it's getting a bit too dark right now. I need to bring in a bit more, just be happy to be alive and then come back to that again and kind of go back and forth between it, I think. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I was thinking also, you know, a bath and a cup of tea also helped me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, I love that. Yeah. Chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> Just the simple, yeah, the simple everyday kind of things that make you appreciate life. Like, yeah, yeah, t tuning into, um, you know, the 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 little joys because the little joys are really so so important and and yeah. big joys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, that's it, Skya. Thanks very much for sharing your thoughts on the book. I really enjoyed reading it. I'd recommend giving it a read. Where can people get it if they want to get your book? Um, so they can get it from all good bookstores or online. Um, yeah, the the um, version in your part of the woods is called How to Be You, um, Simone de Beauvoir and the Art of Authentic Living, which is slightly different to the US version. Yeah, I was going to ask, was there a reason why it's you and not authentic in the UK and Ireland? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm so the uh, US version was the one that was sort of decided first and the UK publisher um, had other ideas about uh, what they thought, what title would reflect the the, the book best. Mm. Um, so I think, I don't know, I think it had something to do with the fact that how to be authentic sounded too much like maybe a self-help book. Yeah. Um, Whereas it's actually not a, really a self-help book no. at, at all. And I say that at the front, it's not like a, it's really not a how-to. It's not like there are 12 steps. Um, I and- think over here, it's like, a, it's possibly in parts of America too. I think the word authentic has gotten so overused. And so it's so kind of meaningless that people were turned mm-hmm. off by it. because it's, so, it's such a deep topic. And then when you bring in that word and put it to something that's meaningless, people are like, what's the point in even using that word anymore? And I draw into that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's part of um thing. I think that's kind of more prevalent maybe in the UK and Ireland, that type of attitude towards it, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Well, that's that's uh, interesting to know. Thank you, Dennis. Well, that's my thoughts. Yeah. And I, that's my sense of it. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's probably right. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And then you're doing a tour. You're going to be in Dublin. What dates are you in Dublin? I am. I'm going to be at um, Hodges Figures. Is that how you pronounce it? Um, the bookstore in Dublin on um, October 18, um, in conversation with Rosita Sweetman. Okay. Um, yeah. And then what I'll happens be... there? Do you, you just talk about the book and stuff? or what's, uh... Yeah, I, yep. We're going to be talking about the book and um, talking about uh, Rosita's book, uh, Backwards Feminism, which came out not so long ago. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're going to be talking about... Um, feminism and uh yeah authenticity and uh yeah the struggle for for equal rights um amongst not just women but but uh beyond as well i know very good yeah so yeah that's uh sounds like a good good night so yeah thanks uh thanks for joining us again sky thanks very much thank you so much dennis this has been great thank you so much for your wonderful questions my pleasure thanks again thanks um